0: Welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. All right, now we are here with Jim Knight, who you may know uh, from his stuff over with Goal and Perform or from his Twitter at Jim Knight or this very show where he often talks about what's going on with Lester. Jim, we typically start these with just a whole season review. But that seems inadequate for Lester because you had many different seasons within the one. Um, But let's start with the brightest spot, which was the Champions League. In this very show last season, in in the end-of-season review, we ended with what expectations and objectives would be for this year. And you said, let's have a good run in Europe. Hey, you did that. You did very well in the Champions League, even giving... Um, a a chance there to to get into the semi final. You brought it home and had the chance, which is just about as good as anyone can ask for. So let's just start with that. What what did it mean to you personally as a Leicester fan, and what do you think it meant for the club that Leicester was able to do so well in the Champions League?
1: And um, for me personally, it was obviously kind of a life's ambition fulfilled. I guess like I'm not especially old. Um, I'm 29, so I've not you know been through that many seasons of mediocrity, with Leicester. We've you know, since I was old enough to kind of go and start watching them um, as a kid, we've tended to be either getting promoted, getting relegated or winning stuff. Um, so we've we've very rarely had very dull seasons and stuff. So I can't complain on that front. But, you know, to see Leicester play in Europe's premier club competition without that kind of financial doping impact of a Roman Abramovich style um, takeover. And yes, we have had money pumped into the club and a lot of debt cleared off, but I think it's been done the right way. It's been done in a, a kind of sustainable way. Um, so to see Leicester excel on the kind of very biggest European stage is just, yeah, it, it, it doesn't quite feel real still. It still feels like when you're watching the matches back or the highlights and stuff, it still feels a bit kind of like you're watching, I don't know, kind of film, I guess. Um, and to get to watch them personally as well, obviously... A lot of the home games and the trip to Copenhagen as well um, back end of last year to watch that away game is you know I think watching your team away in Europe is is something um, really really special and to be honest a lot of supporters don't won't ever get to do it you know there's a, a very select uh, group of teams even at the very top end of the football league that um, will ever get to to watch their teams in Europe so you know it was fantastic and we did I think we did ourselves proud and that was the most important thing. Um, I think a lot of people came into the season still thinking we were going to get embarrassed, to be honest, even though we were a top seed. Um, A lot of people were talking about the coefficient and how Leicester were going to let the coefficient down and how we weren't going to get any points and we were going to get slaughtered by all these teams and go out and stuff. And if that had happened, then so be it. We would have enjoyed it nonetheless. Uh, But to get, you know, that that glimmer of success and the the second leg um, against Sevilla under the lights at the King Power. Um, when we were trailing from from the first leg 2-1 to turn that back and and win 2-0 and you know have Casper save a penalty um, in the in the kind of dying minutes to keep it at 2-0 and obviously if they'd have scored that it, it would have gone to extra time if it had finished that way so you know that was you know still I think that was a, a memory that will be very difficult to beat as a Leicester fan you know in the um, in the near future despite the the amazing things we've achieved in the last 18 months.
0: Yeah, it was definitely uh, fascinating. And uh, you were the furthest advancing English team, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's another little cap in the, you know, a feather in the cap as such, especially to those fans of clubs who, um, mentioning their names at Arsenal, um, thought that we would be letting the coefficient down and kind of saying, oh, they're going to do terrible, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, to go the furthest out of anybody and be the last English team uh, in that, And as you say, to have had a, a chance at a punch's chance at a semi-final. Um, we were, we were, you know, really happy with that. And we were beaten by a team that have been to two finals in the last three seasons. So you can't complain about that. I think financially, I've heard a few figures bandied around uh, in terms of, you know, what is brought into the club. I think it was like 60 million, the, the the kind of most recent one that I heard in terms of revenue. Um, obviously TV rights. And I think the TV rights are, are increased if you're the last team from a particular club left in the competition as well. So I think it was quite um, financially beneficial for us to be the last team um, from from Britain left in. Um So, yeah, it's, it's obviously given us a financial foothold, um, as well as all the stuff from winning the league. And uh, although our budget has obviously gone up alongside that, it's hopefully secured our, our kind of immediate finances even more so than they already were.
0: Yeah. Um And from those kind of heights, uh, and as we said, that was the objective, was to do well in Europe this year. Clearly that was the goal because the Premier League campaign was less than phenomenal, although a 12th place finish isn't the most insane thing. Um, but just curious as to what you think was the difference between the two other than just the focus seemingly being on the Champions League.
1: Um I think it was a mentality thing from the players, to be honest. Like I think there was certainly a amount of um, complacency in the Premier League this year from players, staff, coaches, whatever. Um, that because we'd won the previous year, uh, that would be absolutely fine this season, and we could almost kind of not write the Premier League off. We never wrote it off, and there were some good performances, but they were exceptions rather than a regular occurrence. I think if you look at like games like the Man City game. Uh, where Pep Guardiola tactically just played right into our hands and we beat them 4-2 um, at home. There were a few bright spots um, earlier on in the campaign, I think, before Ranieri kind of lost the, the, the trust of the dressing room. But I think it was uh, both the atmosphere, like the, the, the European nights at home, certainly, and, and away were you know some of the best atmospheres I've ever been in. Um, so I think that has an effect on the players. And I think it was more just that a lot of the players who were in the Leicester squad, you know, you look at the likes of Jamie Vardy, Wes Morgan, uh, Robert Huth, they're, you know, they're probably unlikely to, to ever play in the Champions League again uh, due to their advancing age. Um, Marez is is kind of a, a different case, I guess, and maybe Kaspersh Michael if he was to make a move this summer. But a lot of the players there, I think, would have known that it was their probably one and only opportunity for the vast majority of them to play in the Champions League. So I think there was a certain amount of kind of raising your game to that extra level. Um, as much as I wish it hadn't been the case that we would have dropped off quite so significantly in the Premier League, um, I think a lot of them also struggled to cope with the um, the kind of Wednesday, Saturday uh, or Tuesday, Saturday turnaround. I think it, it, it does get overplayed a little bit at the top level, but when you consider a squad of Leicester's depth, which isn't anywhere near as well kind of kitted out as a Manchester City, an Arsenal, a Chelsea, um, or even a Tottenham, I guess, uh that that kind of effect on turnaround and travel when you're not used to it is you know is particularly damaging um so i think all those kind of factors came into play um but i think it was it, some of it was kind of the shot window effect i guess like uh, it's no coincidence that mares is a lot of mares's best games this year have been in the champions league um when he was kind of in that global shot window uh, because i think he's that kind of player who performs when the spotlight's on him and yeah, on a kind of Saturday afternoon at three o'clock when there's no kind of global TV coverage of our game on, on kind of mainstream British television, et cetera, he, he's tended to go missing a little bit, which is the kind of player he is. But I don't think it's a coincidence that his best games are in the, the Champions League. So it's a multitude of things. You can't put it down to just one thing, but it's um, it was a hell of a ride. And I'm, I, I'm kind of glad we did as well as we did. But yeah, it, it certainly had a detrimental uh, effect on the campaign up until Ranieri left because, you know, w- when we spoke about it, few months ago now um we were in real danger of getting relegated Mm. which is you know a huge huge uh issue obviously um even for a club like ours where we did say the objective was to um was to was to remain in the premier league i don't think you know anyone quite expected us to be in such a dogfight with kind of 10 games to go
0: yeah um kind of taking a a zig instead of a zag here um (laughs) talking about the the drop from last year to this year, especially with players like Mahrez. Uh I was just thinking about the fact, you know, uh, Conte basically swept player awards. Uh, writer, player's player, um, even EA Sports gave him their FIFA Player of the Year. <laughs> um, a lot of people saying, you know, it's incredible. Well, obviously, it's incredible that he's won two consecutive titles at two different clubs. As a Leicester fan, do you buy that he was the difference in both of those sides?
1: I do buy it to a certain degree. I do feel that a lot of the plaudits and awards he won this year were as much down to his performances last year uh, and kind of a a recognition of that since he moved to Chelsea as they were for this year. I feel like he was probably, I I haven't got any stats to back this up so people can tell me I'm wrong, um, potentially, but having watched him every game last year um, and obviously quite a lot of Chelsea games this year, I don't think he was any more effective in a Chelsea team. In fact, I think he was less effective in that Chelsea team than he was in our team, where he was kind of literally the the whole engine room. Um, and I think he made Leicester a lot better as an overall team um, and kind of the sum of their parts than he does at Chelsea, where he's surrounded by players who are more of his ill, if that makes sense. Um, so I think there's you know there's a certain amount of um, two-season syndrome there from the from the you know from the football writers and people like that where last year it got you know a lot of the awards got given to the likes of Vardy and Mares who'd won these you know incredible accolades um, either from you know Vardy breaking the record, Mares having a fantastic kind of breakthrough season on the on the big stage. Um whether or not you know those those awards were given out um in in light of the fact that people expected Kante to go on to bigger and better things, I don't know. Um, but I certainly think he's reaped the rewards of what he's done at Leicester in terms of not only the move to Chelsea, but I think the uh, the overriding kind of goodwill and the expectation around him, which he's he's been able to live up to. It's so all credit to him because there will be a lot of big players um, in his situation who've made the move from you know a lower half Premier League club, expectedly um, as as Leicester now are, um, up to a very very top tier club and not not quite cut the mustard. But I mean he's ridiculous, and so when you look at his transfer fee of of 32 million. Um, You know, that was a a snip for Chelsea um, at the price. I can't believe there weren't bigger teams, not not bigger teams, but kind of Champions League teams um, from England and beyond in for him because they got, you know, they got such a bargain. He's worth, I I was talking to someone about this the other day. I think he, I was saying, imagine how much he he would be if if Real Madrid wanted him uh, now Mm. or Barcelona. You know, he'd be, I'm not saying he'd be pushing Pogba levels, but he'd probably be talking double his transfer fee from Chelsea. Uh, yep. Last summer, and when you think his, his transfer fee to Leicester um, in the first place was 7 million euros, so he's gone from a 7 million euro player to potentially, you know, a 60 million pound player um, in, in two years. That's just incredible.
0: Yeah, um, getting back to <laughs> the uh, main entree of the show, we were talking about um, obviously the Premier League and how it did not measure up to your Champions League campaign. Obviously, that was a huge factor in the release of Claudio Ranieri, which was met with much fury outside of the Leicester fan base, some within. Um, And I'm just curious here, now that the season's over, do you think that that decision was the correct one at the time? And how do you think we'll go from here with Craig Shakespeare?
1: Yeah, I I mean, I think I said at the time that I thought it was justified from a football sense. I think from a moral sense, it caused that outrage that a lot of people um, expected um him to to be given you know freedom in the city in a sense, and to um be able to um get us relegated, which I was completely on board with if you know I said at the time if the board of you know said to him right, if you take us down, you're getting the opportunity to bring us back up that's fine after what he'd achieved, I'd have had no problem with that um, but they made the decision that they still had a fight they believed they still had a fighting chance of of staying in the premier League, and I think that decision's been vindicated in the performances. Um, after he left, as much as that leaves a sour taste in the mouth, because you would have hoped that a group of professionals, he had lost the dressing room, I think that's abundantly clear now, if it wasn't at the time. But just the disparity between the performances, um, kind of from when he left to um, now, under Shakespeare, who's, who's basically, he, he's not been a uh, tactical innovator. He's not kind of gone back and done anything particularly revolutionary. What he's done is gone back and played exactly the same system that we are playing under Nigel Pearson three years ago. Um, and that won us the championship. So he hasn't done anything particularly good um, or or kind of out of the ordinary. He's done some very good stuff, but not out of the ordinary. Um, So I think that just shows quite how little the dressing room kind of wanted to play for him at that point. So when you look at it like that, I don't think you can argue against it from a football point of view because we've ended up staying in the league pretty comfortably. We finished 12th, which from where we were 10, 12 games ago was a fantastic achievement. Um, And it could have been even better, you know, if we'd have got a winner um, against Bournemouth in the last game of the season, I think we could have finished ninth. Um, So to go from that to a top-off finish, potentially, or or being kind of one goal away from a top-off finish is fantastic. And all credit to Craig Shakespeare for what he's done. Um, I said the last time I was on, which I think was two or three weeks ago, that I expected him to stay and I didn't think the board had any uh, choice but to give him the job uh, because of how well he'd done. But, I have now potentially revised that opinion. I get the feeling that after, you know, to, to be fair, I did say at the time, um, and I did, I did um, kind of qualify that statement with the fact that I felt like it might be a bit of a Roberto Di Matteo situation at Chelsea, where they would potentially be looking for an excuse to get rid of him early on next season if they felt that things weren't going right. Um, I, in light, kind of in lieu of a big manager coming in and taking over because of the King's power brand and the way that they'd like to view their, their their football club as a marketable asset around the globe, as opposed to just a successful Premier League club in its own right. Um, it's driven their business assets kind of above and beyond what they ever were before. Um, so as a, as a kind of marketing tool for the King Power brand, it's been fantastic. Um, and obviously, they've we've invested in a, a Belgian second tier club as well um, in the last week or so. So I'm not sure if there's going to be a kind of Vitesse Arnhem and elect feeder club situation going on. Um, next year, that, the kind of details around that are still kind of being kept very tightly under wraps, so that'll be interesting to watch, but they see it as you know, becoming a huge big part of their, their vision, so um, I'm not 100% sure he's going to stay, I'm kind of 50-50 at the moment now, um, about whether he'll stay or not, the decisions he made tactically against Tottenham were very naive, I think, um, we were still in with a chance of winning the game, but taking your only recognised centre-back off for Damari Gray, who's a very attacking winger, and leaving us very, very short at the back and just kind of completely at sixes and sevens defensively. It was like watching us under Ranieri. Like, the clients in Tottenham were very, very good, but we made it very easy for them in that last kind of 20 minutes. And obviously, Kane took full advantage. Um, but I feel like those kind of decisions could really count against him at the end of the season and not ending the campaign with a win when we had some quite favourable games, you know, in the last, in the last three games. You don't win any, you kind of get one complete battering, you lose the other one, you you draw a game which you probably would have expected to win at home on the final game of the season. Um, that probably doesn't leave Shakespeare in quite the, the, the good kind of glowing light that he, um, he was in about a month ago. So it will be interesting to see. He's still very, very um, kind of toeing the party line and saying, I'm not going into this with any expectations, I'll speak to the owners, we'll see what happens um, and we'll go from there. That, to me, says that he probably hasn't got any assurances about the long-term future. Um, and he would obviously be considered, I think, as a candidate for the for the long-term job. But I do feel like if there was a big name um, on the horizon available, similar to a, a kind of Ranieri, someone who's who's kind of been there, done that at the very top of the game, they would probably rather give it to someone with that experience. Um, but again, how the players are going to react to that, you don't know. Um and ultimately you know there's obviously a lot of player power at leicester and that for for better or worse that's a a kind of big potential pitfall if a new manager comes in and tries to change too much
0: yeah if uh he isn't confirmed soon or well he at least isn't at time of recording do you think that'll affect your summer plans
1: it's interesting um i can't i suppose it has to doesn't it like I, I, i the first thing a manager would do, I guess, after booking that or going on their summer holiday um, kind of now is to start identifying transfer targets for next season um, and, you know, sorting preseason pre-season tours and stuff. And that uh, the pre-season stuff's all kind of coming along. Um, I guess that's done at a slightly different level compared to the kind of managerial stuff like scouting players and things. Um but we have got a scouting network in place now. Um, and Obviously, Steve Walsh has left and gone to Everton, but we've got a head of senior recruitment. We've got a head uh, yeah, director of football in John Brookkin, who's not especially popular. He actually came onto the pitch at the King Power in the last game of the season at half time and got booed, which, is, um, <laughs> which brought a, a, a smirk to my face because I think a lot of people see him as the fall guy for the transfer business over the last 12 months, which hasn't been especially uh, good. Um, I think there's been quite a few dud signings and not many positive ones. Um, so yeah, you know, you would think that Shakespeare would probably be quite heavily involved in um, in scouting players and looking at the um, potential for next season. But if he's not the manager, then the board need to make a decision very quickly to a find someone who's going to come in, and b start the work on those um, scouting targets because. A lot of the big clubs that we're going to be in competition with are, are going to be you know, looking at similar players to us. And and we're going to start receiving bids for players as well. I think this is a really kind of um, pivotal summer for Leicester's squad as it is. I think there's going to be interest in Mahrez. Um Potentially, he might be priced out of the market by his big contracts. But I certainly think Casper Schmeichel um, and Damari Gray are, are, are kind of prime candidates to leave the club potentially for kind of bigger and better things. So it will be really interesting to see how much um, scope he gets and how much input he has over the summer.
0: You think the club are kicking themselves over what they probably could have gotten last year from Mars versus what they could get this year?
1: Yeah, I think absolutely they are. I think if they'd have um taken him to market as it were last year, they probably could have got fifty million for him. You know, you you, you look at some of the players and some of the fees that are flying around. And I'm not saying you, you you would be able to get you know, you wouldn't be able to get that for him now, but I feel like when we put him on a hundred grand a week um for four years, you kinda of price out everyone bar the real real european elite clubs i'm talking champions league contenders um you know your real Madrid, your barcelona's manchester cities and chelsea's pe- people like that with huge bank rolls huge uh, wage bills that could accommodate someone who could potentially come into their squad as not necessarily even a first teamer and paying more than a hundred thousand pounds a week which a lot of premier league clubs can't um a lot of clubs around the world can't um so I think that, unfortunately for us, he hasn't shown his best season. But I kind of think that maybe that was part of the reason we didn't get any serious, serious offers for him last summer. Um, it could well have been that some of the clubs looked at him and said, yeah, he blows a bit hot or cold. We'll we'll leave it on this occasion and see how he gets on. And, you know, ultimately, they've probably been proved right. Um, I would still be very interested to find out how he would do in a team where he isn't kind of the main attacking outlet. Um, because he is always double-marked in the Leicester team. Him and Vardy are always kind of the two marked men, as it were, both fig- figuratively and literally. Um, so teams go out of their way to kind of stop those two outlets because they know that if they stop those, we have trouble scoring. Um, how are we doing a team that kind of has a three-pronged attacking uh, set-up like a Barcelona or Real Madrid, I don't know. But I just kind of feel like he's falling at the moment in between the cracks of um, a very, very good Premier League team and a, a top, top elite team. Uh, that could actually afford
0: him. Yeah, well, it'll be very interesting to see what you do end up doing this summer. Of course, at the end of the summer will be the 2017 2018 Premier League season. This year, we kind of knew what you were expecting going into it, um, but I think this year is kind of up in the air. What are you expecting uh, from Leicester next season?
1: Well, there's no, obviously, there's no European football first to be distracted by our users as an excuse so i think you know i think that the club's owners will expect us to push on into a top half um i think if any new manager does come in the fact that we finished 12th probably isn't a bad thing um because as i say it was so nip and tuck at the end there that to be honest if we finished eighth or ninth that would be seen next year uh if we finished eighth or ninth um it would be seen as obviously a real positive the fact that we've been able to break that top half and that's a kind of milestone that a lot of, I think, fans and clubs look at as a, a sign of progress, even if it means that, you know, you haven't actually done that much better than the previous year. Um, so I think that will be the the kind of expectation. I think there will be an outside kind of unsaid expectation uh, or hope, should I say, of a of, of a European challenge, uh, not for a Champions League place, but I think given the wage bill that we've now got, um, the, the, the amount that we've spent on players, um, and, it, you know, if that continues, I guess it kind of all depends on the summer. If we were to lose the likes of um, of Kasper, uh, Schmeichel of Mahrez, um and a couple of other key players kind of go as well, then, you know, it might well be a rebuilding job and that a, a kind of a 12th place finish would be acceptable. But I think if we keep the majority of the squads together and add to it, um, which obviously has been a huge issue over the last 12 months or so in terms of adding, players that bring kind of real value um, and bring up the overall quality of the side. um, Then there's no reason we can't push on towards the top half. But I think, you know, I think publicly stated, it will probably be like a 10th place finish, something around there, anything between kind of 11th and eighth probably won't be the end of the world when the the team will probably be expected to be pushing on a little bit higher than that um, behind closed doors.
0: Hmm. All right. Well, uh, best of luck to you next season in the interim. uh, Where can people find you in the off season?
1: Um, I will be over at uh, Goal.com writing uh, various betting-related stories. Uh, Obviously, not much going on this summer uh, in terms of football, but we'll have Confederations Cup coverage, um, all your internationals, transfers, uh, managers, all that kind of uh, good stuff. And obviously, it it won't be long and the pre-season will be upon us. Um, So make the most of the next few weeks being very quiet because it doesn't stay like that for long. Um, so towards the end of July beginning of August we'll be covering all the pre-season stuff um, I'm over at Soccerway.com as well uh, producing kind of weekly publications which will be back for the next season uh, so if, if betting on football from a t- t- statistical point of view um, is something that you are interested in that's that's kind of a must have on the a regular reads list um, and yeah Goal.com Soccerway pretty much everything and then here on, on the EPL round table uh, whenever I can uh, I can squeeze in amongst the uh, myriad of good guests that we have on
0: (laughs) all right well thank you so much for joining us today and throughout the whole season really appreciate it and i'm sure we'll speak soon